So our first scripture reading this morning is from John, chapter 20, verse 11 to 18. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in, because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Well, you've got to get up pretty early in the morning, or just stay awake all night. The second scenario is the more likely case for both Mary and for Peter. Death swallows up everything. A matter of hours earlier, Mary's world and Peter's world had changed forever. Jesus was dead. Mary Magdalene, who was an outcast in society, that culture, that time, a woman, first of all, and worse than that, a sinful woman, 
Any attention paid to her would have been negative. Always reminded of how bad she was. How unacceptable. But Jesus had loved her. He defined her not by her sin, but by his love. And she had become a follower. But now Jesus was dead and Mary was lost. Mary is lost in grief and the world for her has become dark again. Peter, in the second account, had been weighed down with sadness and guilt. You remember his failure, right? After loudly declaring in the upper room the Last Supper that no matter what, he would never deny Jesus. He would even die for Jesus. So soon after that, Peter had denied Jesus not once but three times, just as Jesus had said that he would. Peter was lost in sadness and guilt. Both of these stories take place in the morning. For Mary, it's in a garden. For Peter, on the shore of a lake. We've moved past the stark barrenness of Golgotha, the place of the skull. These are beautiful morning scenes. Some of you, this is, this is a revelation. It's beautiful in the morning sometimes. Mary goes to the garden, to the tomb in the garden, to care for Jesus, to care for the body of Jesus. She's confronted when she arrives with another horror. The stone has been rolled away. Isn't it enough that Jesus has been tortured? Isn't it enough what they've done to his body? Isn't it enough that they have so brutally executed him? And now this indignity? Someone has stolen the body? Mary runs to tell the disciples of Jesus, Peter and the others. They hear what she says, but they pay no attention to her. Run right past her, running to the tomb. John gets there first. We know that John gets there first because he tells us that he outruns Peter. He writes the gospel and says, I was faster runner than Peter was. John stops at the entrance of the tomb, but when Peter arrives, he walks right in. Mary has followed as well, and she remains outside the tomb, overwhelmed with grief, broken to the ground. Neither Peter nor John comforts Mary at all. They leave her alone and return home. Mary moves closer to the tomb, peering inside. And then she hears a voice. We're told there are two angels present. And and they ask, Woman, why are you weeping? They've taken away my Lord, she says, and I don't know where they've laid him. She probably didn't even look up. But at this, she turns around and there sees Jesus. But through her pain and sorrow, she is unable even to recognize him. How could she have recognized him? The one thing she knew was that he was dead. And Jesus asks Mary, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Do you... I I don't think you do this enough. In fact, I know you don't do this enough. Consider the character of our Lord and Savior. You think too much about your own behavior. If you had any idea what Jesus was like, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Do you hear the tenderness? Mary, weighed down by her grief, You know when somebody talks to you and you're in so much pain that you can barely speak? 
Every word seems like a distraction to the pain. Mary, supposing him to be the gardener, says, Oh, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me, just tell me where you've laid him. It's almost too much to speak at times like this. But then Jesus speaks to her. Mary. He calls her by name. And at this she recognizes him. And she jumps. She screams. She cries out. It's in how he says her name. Not like the hateful religious leaders always disappointed in her. Terrible person. Not even like Jesus' own followers who barely ever notice her. Jesus speaks her name as if he sees her. Truly sees her. And his speaking brings her back to life. I'll say her name, but I wish I could say each of yours. Mary. Teacher! She cries out. And she grabs hold of him. Teacher is a term of affection as well. She grabs hold of him so much so she won't let go. He says, don't cling to me. I have to go tell the others as well. You have to go tell the others as well. It's not Mary alone that Jesus will bring back to life. Another morning soon after, Peter and some of the other disciples have gone back to fishing. By this time they've encountered the risen Christ, but they still don't quite know what to do with themselves. Fishing is what they did before they became followers of Jesus. So fishing is what they go back to. When they had first met Jesus, it seems that they were not actually very good fishermen. And nothing apparently has changed. They fish through the hours of the night into the early morning and catch pretty much nothing. How would they feel then? How would Peter feel? Confused at least. Wanting to somehow rid himself of the memory of that denial. Like you try to with your mistakes or failures or the things that you put on yourself. You just want to get rid of them, but you can't. Your mind keeps bringing them back up. Peter can't catch fish and he can't get rid of this feeling. Even after Jesus has appeared after the resurrection, it's not the same as it was when they were following him. They're pretty much alone. And early that morning, Jesus appears on the shore of the lake and yells out to them. He appears as a stranger. And he yells out this question. How's the fishing? It's great. He knows why Mary's crying and he knows how the fishing is. Okay. Not good, they holler back to the stranger. We haven't caught anything. Try the other side of the boat, which you'll find some fish there. Just picture the disciples. Thank you, stranger. We'd never thought of that. There are only two possibilities. One, they hadn't thought of that, which they're even worse fishermen than we can imagine. And two, they had tried it, but they obliged the stranger, hoping that maybe this time something will be different. 
And when they cast their net on the other side of the boat, it is filled instantly with a load of fish so heavy that they can't haul the net in. You remember later in the story John read for us, Peter can haul the net. But Peter doesn't maybe even try because John, who's writing the account, reminded us that he was the fastest runner. Now he reminds us that he's the most spiritual. He refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. A little arrogant, maybe. Grateful, too. John, writing the account of the scene, tells us that he's the one who recognizes Jesus when they catch all those fish. He puts in the text, and John said, It's the Lord! Because the rest of them were too dumb, I guess, to figure that out. At least in John's telling. When he cries out, It's the Lord! Now Peter, Peter so mindful of his denial of Jesus, Peter who in his own mind had failed Jesus so terribly, Peter jumps out of the boat. He's barely wearing anything. He grabs something to put on and jumps out of the boat and begins to rush to the shore. And my question to you is, can you see what's happening yet? Mary had been drowned in her grief and pain, lost in darkness and death, like some of you have been. And Jesus brought her back to life just at the speaking of her name. Peter had been drowned in guilt and sadness, such a terrible failure in his way of seeing things. But at seeing Jesus, he runs not away from him, but to him. This is the love of Jesus Christ. This is the love of the Father. Oh, that we could learn. Jesus isn't standing on the shore going, well, Peter... He runs to him through the water. And he's a big guy, we're told. There's no dignified way to run through shallow water towards anybody. Go watch Aquafit at the rec center and see. (laughs) Peter bounding through that water towards Jesus. And he gets to the shore and sees this most amazing thing. Jesus, again... Get your eyes off your own behavior and get your eyes on the Lord. Jesus has prepared a charcoal fire and some bread. He's making them breakfast. As Peter approaches Jesus, the guys catch up by now with the fish. They can't haul it in. Peter bounds back out into the water, grabs the net and reels it in. Filled with the strength of this love and passion. And as Peter approaches Jesus, Jesus' words to him are this. And the others. And you and me. Come and have breakfast. How could you not be utterly shattered at these words? I don't mean you, Peter. I mean you, you guys sitting here. The one who had been denied, speaking to the one who had done the denying... He doesn't shake his finger at him. He doesn't express disappointment. The story would get even better. Jesus, after breakfast, would ask Peter three times, Do you love me? This isn't an insecure, jilted lover. Why would he ask that? Was he unsure, insecure in some way? No. Was he wanting to make sure that Peter could be trusted? I've got to really find out if Peter's on my side or not. 
Open your eyes. Jesus asked, do you love me three times, not for his sake, but for Peter's? He is erasing the denials. What did you think he was like? It doesn't take long in this world to see people claiming the name of Christ, thinking that their service of him means rejecting other people. Not the Gospels I read. No one. No one. He's bringing Peter back to life. It is not simply that he is risen. It is who is risen. The gracious, loving, compassionate, strong, beautiful Lord of the whole universe. Do you still want him to appear to Pilate or to the Pharisees or to the Roman soldiers? We can be so juvenile in our faith. Jesus, the risen Savior, is not about settling scores. He's not a machine gun Messiah wiping out all the baddies. Jesus, the risen Savior, will do so much better than settling scores. He will raise the dead. He brought Mary back to life. He brought Peter back to life. He brought me to life. And he will do the same for you. This is the character of our God. Seen in Jesus Christ who said, If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. This is a God who will not make us cower in terror. Even when we feel we have so greatly failed or sinned. This is a God that we are drawn to so much that we run to him even after our worst moments. Hear this. This is the theological meat of the story. God's freedom is his freedom for love. In Jesus Christ, there is no isolation of humanity from God or God from humanity. I could tell you this or teach you this theologically, teaching you points and giving you some biblical survey Or I can simply say this on Easter Sunday morning. Look at Mary. Look at Peter. He who loves like this God is the living God. And the freedom in which he loves is his deity. Do you know that? And that's it. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And he brought Mary back to life. And he brought Peter back to life. And I know that he will bring you to life. I know this. I know this. I am utterly convinced of this. And I say this both to Christians and non-Christians here in this place. He will bring you to life. Last weekend, um, I think I taped it on Saturday night and watched it Sunday. Sunday afternoon, that's what I did. After church, after Palm Sunday, I went home and watched Saturday Night Live. Thanks be to God. <laughs> the young musician was the, was the musical guest. His name's George Ezra. Good biblical name. Thank you. And he was singing just a catchy love song. 
The song's called Budapest. He recites a list. It's just a love song. He recites a list of what he'd give up just to be with the one he loves. And I like it because it's quirky, it's catchy. He says, my house in Budapest. He's, he's 21 years old. He looks so young. He looks like Aaron Lalau before I'm told Aaron now has a beard. Um, and Aaron's older than this George Ezra guy. But, it, but the, George Ezra has a voice that sounds like a weathered, old, strong voice. It's quite a... But he sings, I like the list because it's quirky. He sings, my house in Budapest, my, my hidden treasure chest, golden grand piano, my beautiful Castillo castle. You, oh, for you, oh, I'd give it all, I'd leave it all. It's catchy, it's like, oh, baby, baby. There's a couple of babies in there. It became my Good Friday song, you want to know the truth? We'll play it. We'll play it after. I've got it. We'll play it after the service ends. While you're leaving. Jesus in the garden so tenderly saying Mary's name. Jesus on the lakeside so fittingly preparing breakfast. You remember the last time they shared bread together? The last time we're told Jesus took the bread and gave it to them? This is the one who existed before time itself. Perfect love. existing in the perfect love of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, pre-existent, the center of all things, and he gave it up for you. Oh, for you. He'd leave it all. It's Philippians 2. I'll take a shot at a contemporary song. You're not supposed to do controversial and negative things in Easter sermons. Don't make anybody feel bad ever. I'm going to take a risk, okay? Because some of you like this song, and I'll just I'll, I'll say, it's a great song, and I'm glad you like it, but it's terrible. But anyway, we've sung it here a number of times. It's called, I think it's called Above All. Above All, Above All, Anyway, that's, right? It's nice. It's a good song. It, it's a nice feeling song. There's a, like, I'm going to give you a a, a secret here. A lot of songs we sing, even the ones I like and you like, they're not always theologically great, right? I mean, I find myself kind of playing with the words a little bit, and I'm not going to stop them all. Above all is theologically way less than great. Let me tell you why. Above all, above all. The idea is that God's above all. That's good. That's right. But then you've got to make things rhyme and everything else. So (laughs) you come up with this. Like a rose trampled on the ground, he took the fall and thought of me above all. Ouch. That's terrible. I just said, for you, ooh, for you, I'd leave it all. This, like a rose trampled on the ground. Jesus is not a defenseless trampled rose. He chose this. He left it all. He gave it up to be with Mary and Peter 
and you and to bring us all to life. Philippians, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the nature of a servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And God exalted him to the highest place. A better song, what's it called? Oh, you you draw blanks when you're up front, no matter how many times you're up front. Um, We sang it on Good Friday, and I like it, and it's a good song, and I I, I approved it. I did not take any shot at anybody. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, It's the one, it has the line, it was my sin that held him there. How deep the Father's love for us. Now, the Father's love for us is deep. So I'll give you that. And this is not as bad as a trampled rose lying on the ground. But there's a line in there that I I like, I'll sing it, I get it. I'm not not saying it's theologically terrible, but I kind of qualify it in my mind. It says, it was my sin that held him there. Oh, really? You think my sin had the power to hold Jesus on the cross? Oh, you think too much of your sin. Your sin can do you in. But it won't do him in. It has no power over him. It was his love that held him there until it was accomplished. So when you sing that next time in church, I'm okay with it, by the way. Don't look at me, please. For humanity, he left it all. And by his life and resurrection, we are brought back to life and into into this relationship with God. And like Peter and like Mary, we need to be brought back to life. I can't say for each of you what the darkness is in your life. I can't say what it is that weighs you down. Your own failures. I'm, I'm constantly surprised that even though we present ourselves as so strong at times or capable or the world needs to look at one another this way, uh, when confronted, it seems, and when you get really to the depths for each person, it seems their own lack of, of uh, self-regard is what's weighing them down. I don't know what it is for you, whether it's the loss of family or friends, what it is that keeps you in darkness. And I don't mean to be so flippant to say, well, you come to church on Easter Sunday and now you should feel good from now on. I know it's, it's much deeper than that. But this is the gospel. In leaving all that he had, he took on all the sin and pain and darkness that ever was, and he died. And it died with him. And he is risen. And like he brought them back to life, he will do the same for you. I know it to be true. Some of you as Christians here, many, most maybe Christians here, some of you know what it feels like to be weighed down and you're not living a life of wholeness and fullness and strong faith. Your faith to you seems anemic. He has for us abundant life, life in the light of the resurrection. And some of you have never known life in Jesus Christ. All you have to do is ask. One thing I know is that this is what he does, just what he did for Mary and just what he did for Peter. It's the old gospel spiritual. There ain't no grave can hold my Jesus down.
That's well and true. But the most miraculous thing remains. Not that he could and would raise from the dead. But that he, being in very nature God, would ever die in the first place. That's more miraculous. And now he has brought us back to life. And we sing. And I say to you, Happy Easter. Nothing is ever the same again. Put your trust in him. Let him show you life to the full. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.